Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today's guest is reflecting on the end of his first season of his podcast. You have to be adaptable in order to change. In order to coach others, you're forced to come out of your shell, even as an introvert. And in order to participate, you have to take everyone's input. Today, I'm talking to a fellow broadcaster, Rob Debford. Rob, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you? Great. I'm excited to connect with you. I did hit record, so I'll just warn you. This is very conversational, and I just like to jump right in. Yeah, yeah. Zoom just uh, gives you that notification right off the bat now, right? This meeting is being recorded or something. Some, you know, the robot voice. Yes. <laughs> but some people are like, I didn't know that we were jumping right in, even though I got the warning. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I'm good with it. Whatever. <laughs> we just roll with it, right? Yes. Which is amazing for someone who is an introvert, a strong introvert, right? Yeah. Funny how that works. How does that work? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because... I am very reserved and quiet and I like my own company, right? I wouldn't say that I have a huge group of friends per se, I guess the stereotypical introvert in, in that I have kind of a small close group of friends that I prefer to kind of spend my time with. And yet I do stuff like this, right? I get onto a stage sometimes and speak. I spent 20 years presenting as part of my career to you know, small, medium, large audiences. And it's sort of like the hiding in the spotlight thing, I think. Yeah, it's weird. We just shift gears. Like, have you ever done some of those assessments like Myers-Briggs and stuff like that to actually, you know, kind of determine where you fit on the scale of introvert versus extrovert? Have you done those? I have done some assessments and yeah. with a shared contact of ours, Kristen Cherry, uh, right. Yeah. With the UMAP stuff. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there are, there are all kinds of ways to kind of look into how do you truly operate, right? And so for me, I'm definitely a strong introvert on the scale when I come out of these assessments. But one of the things that as I've learned going through so many of these over the years in my career is, you know, we can stretch beyond our comfort zone when necessary. So I think for me, early on in my career, when I was thinking, you know, I, I might like to get into broadcast, it was like, all right, well, this is a challenge to get out of my comfort zone. And I got into it and liked it and found out that I was pretty good at it, actually. And things just sort of progressed from there. So what was once outside of my comfort zone by a long stretch has kind of sort of moved closer to my comfort zone. I still get very nervous at times, right? But I definitely am more comfortable once I get going at it these days. So yeah, it's just a matter of taking that challenge, I think, and knowing that you can be successful doing something that you don't typically have comfort doing. 
Tell me a time you got nervous. Always doing that before this show, before we recorded. <laughs> no. Yeah, I still do. Honestly, I do. And I think, you know, there, there's been a lesson in that for me over the years, too, because I heard along the way somewhere that when athletes go to their uh, team psychologists and, and talk about, you know, the, the pressure of having to per perform in their, their given sport, one of the things they do is they, they learn to interpret nervousness as excitement. So it's really sort of repositioning that in your mind of like, okay, I'm really nervous. I, you know, I, I want to perform well when I get into this, whatever it is I'm doing, how do I sort of reframe it so that I can perform well? And so that's what they do. So I started trying to look at it from that perspective and it actually works really incredibly well. I love that. What other advice would you give to introverts? Because I feel like there are a lot of introverts that are afraid to get on video. Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest barriers, right? Because I think video looks like this big, scary thing. And certainly it looked more like a big, scary thing, as you know, from, you know, kind of back in the day when you needed a multi-million dollar television studio to create something half decent in terms of a video product, right? So we, we know video is what we see on TV. We see big, flashy commercials and things. You know, you think about ads that come up during the Super Bowl or something like that. You know, these high production value things, and they look intimidating. It's like, well, I could never, you know, I could never get on screen and do anything like that. And I think at the end of the day, we don't have to, right? When we look at social media video, when we look at things like this, doing a video podcast, it just isn't like that. It's not this big flashy thing. It's more about, I say, make connections, not commercials, right? So it's more about connecting with who it is you're trying to reach. And when you can frame it like that in your mind, it's it becomes a conversation then, right? It becomes, okay, who am I talking to? And so doing something like this with you, well, we've chatted before. So, you know, there is a level of comfort already established, but even if there isn't, it's sort of like, okay, well, this is my audience that I'm trying to reach. What would I say to them if I were sitting down one-to-one -one having a chat over a coffee, right? And, and that helps to really get the conversation going. And whether the camera's there or not, it, like it doesn't matter, right? And I think the equipment is part of the intimidating piece when you sit down and there's a camera or a mic or whatever. And I remember that in the old broadcast days going out as a reporter with this big, I think it was a Sony tape recorder, a TCM 5000 is what it was called. And so, it, you know, it was a fair size tape recorder and, you know, the cables and the mics and stuff. And people would kind of look at you when you came in with that gear. And it was like, oh man, like that looks scary, right? So you would say, well, you know, this is what it does. You'd show them what the equipment is for, how it operates, you know, what the purpose is, that kind of thing, and, and exactly how you were going to use it. And that seemed to put people at ease a little bit. So when you recognize that too, like, okay, the camera's just here, it's recording what I'm doing. The mic is here, it's recording what I'm saying. And then you, you kind of forget about it once you get into the conversation. It becomes like it's it's not even there. The lights, I feel like. The lights, yeah. The are lights. intimidating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're in a studio situation, the lights for sure can be intimidating. The old three-point lighting system, I remember in the TV studios, that key light is so incredibly hot. Right? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, they used to powder your your face and stuff, right? Because the heat from the lighting would be so hot, you'd, you'd start to get sweaty. But it's changed. The technology for that has changed over the years, fortunately. But there again, you know, what's the lighting for? Well, camera lenses aren't very good at picking stuff up. You know, even with the high tech stuff these days, they're not as good as our eyes are at detecting light. So we need to increase the lighting so that at the end of the day, what we're producing is something that other people can see well. Talk to me about some of your favorite projects that you've done. Oh, man. 
I like, we were talking about assessments. So when I think about what are my top strengths, my top strengths are all sort of thinking and learning strengths, right? Like strategic ideation and learning are my top three or learner, I guess, when you're looking at how they're defined. So I, I like to do things where I'm educating. So you know, when I think about projects that I have enjoyed over the past, it's taking the skill set that I have and putting something together where I can educate others and maybe help them make some some improvements in whatever it is they're doing and help them achieve some of their goals. So putting together some video-based courses, doing live video training, I enjoy that stuff, right? Like getting on a Zoom call like we do for recording these things, but getting on a call and having six or eight or 10 other people and going through like a training situation, that's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy doing stuff like that. Wow. Tell me about some of the opportunities that you've had to teach and like, how have you put that together? What have you learned about putting together a course for people? Uh, I, I'm kind of lucky. I, you know, when I started my career, I was sort of on that, the edge of the generational turnover in a lot of industries, I think. And I had a boss that was, I would say, compared to how things operate today, maybe a little bit old school, where she was willing to take a chance right? Beyond the sort of checkbox talents or skill set that I came into the job with. And one day I was doing some marketing work for them. And one day she came in and she says, Hey, have you ever done any teaching? And I said, well, no. <laughs> you know? And she said, well, would you like to try? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, young, enthusiastic, ambitious, you know, want to make a good impression. I'm like, all right, sure. <laughs> And of course, the introvert in me is really scared at that at that point, right? I think I was 26 or 27 years old, something like that. But I said, sure. And at the time, they were putting together a little course on sort of career development stuff for young people, what they labeled as underprivileged young people uh, in those days. So people from different, different backgrounds that maybe didn't have the same kinds of supports as the average person might. So we did, we did that. We had a curriculum that we put together for that. And I just had to show up and, and teach, you know, get to know it myself and show up and teach. And it was interesting because I got the students were not all that much younger than me, relatively speaking at that time. So there was some relatability there and it was a lot of fun. And that's probably where I caught the teaching bug. So, so yeah, that just progressed. And uh, I've tried to include that element of teaching in just about everything I've done my whole, my whole way through my career. How did you capture their attention? and keep their attention. Good. What do you remember about that? That was a classroom situation, right? So I think there was some, it's different than having to get attention on camera, for sure. You know, the virtual space has been a different ballgame for me, for sure. But in a classroom situation back then, you know, I, I think people were sort of accustomed to that structure. They were coming into that situation knowing that, okay, this is a class and we're going to sit here and we're going to learn and the instructor is going to tell us about something. So there there wasn't necessarily the, the same need, I don't think, to grab attention and hold it. You still had to deliver in a way that was interesting to the group. That's probably where there was an advantage in me being a little bit closer in age to that group at that time, because I had some knowledge of what pop culture was doing, right? And what, what they were interested in. And I could kind of weave that into my delivery of the curriculum at that time. So that was, that was part of it for sure. Do you remember what pop culture was happening then? Man, that was, that was back in the nineties. So that was an interesting time. It was an interesting time. I remember, you know, a lot of it was 
music, but music was still really big. I, I don't think it's as big these days, or maybe it's it's evolved into what's happening on platforms like TikTok and stuff like that. But you know, then it was just like we had CDs, <laughs> and people people bought CDs and they listened to music. So it was you know what are the chart toppers at the time? Man, there's some been there's been some one hit one hit wonders come and go, right? I remember there was New Radicals was a band that had a, a chart topping hit, and everybody was kind of it was just something that everybody was talking about at the time i think it was you got the music in you or something like that and that's one thing that stands out that's a good way to bond with people if you can find something pop culture that you guys relate on yeah absolutely absolutely do you feel like you try to find something like that with the guests that you interview for your podcast yeah so for my podcast i've had a i've had a wide variety of guests i mean i, I i'm just getting started right i'm not i'm not in your territory and i've got a ways to go but but it's been interesting to have this variety and kind of look into you know what's their background what can we discuss that would be beneficial to the audience that they would be comfortable discussing and would generate some flow of conversation right because the worst thing in the world is you would remember from journalism days is you start asking sort of random questions and you get these really short answers or even yes or no answers and, and you're not filling the time you know in a podcast you you've got some flexibility but man in the radio days you did not want dead air so you you really had to kind of be able to prod and move on to the next thing right so you know for different guests i think it's really about researching what's their background what are their interests you know look at their linkedin profiles look at their websites if they have them and try to find something that is interesting that maybe not everybody has discussed with them yeah i love that too if you yeah. were making a commercial for your podcast have you thought about doing that you know, it's something, so I feel like it's still so early in my podcast stages because I was never going to do a podcast, right? I was just going to show up on other people's podcasts. That was kind of my my strategic plan. But but then I thought, you know, some of the most fun I've had in my career has been, even though my radio career was short-lived, that was, that was some of the most fun I've ever had along the path. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to give this a try. Like it's accessible to everybody now. So why not just jump in and give it a try? And so the experience has been good. I, I guess where I'm at now is I've got one season complete and I, I'm kind of reflecting on that and thinking, okay, well, what has the audience responded to? Where do I want to take it from here? I've proven that I can still get on the air, so to speak, and babble, right? And, and carry on a conversation with people. But now it, it needs to take a, ne a next step. It needs to evolve into, okay, what is this going to be longer term? And how is it going to be beneficial to people who tune in to listen? So if the time comes to make a commercial, it's going to be reflective of what those benefits are to the listener, for sure. I think I still need to clarify that. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate that. It's going to involve learning though. Let's put it that way, right? We're, we're going to bring that value in. I love that you're being that reflective after one season. My objective after doing a season was to do that, to do that exercise, right? To be reflective on how did it go? Like, am I okay? Like I, I shook the rust off. Do I want to keep on doing this? Is this going to be part of something that that fills my, my time and has purpose in my career longer term? And so that's kind of the stage I'm at now. As I say, I enjoy it. So what comes next, I guess, is the next, is the question for me. Who will be the next guests? What will there be a theme? And again, how how will it benefit the listeners of the program? Yeah, what kind of feedback are you getting? 
Well, people seem to like it, right? Like people seem to enjoy the diversity that of the guests that that I've been able to get on. And really, when I started out, it was like, okay, I'm going to invite some guests on. There are, you know, for the most part, people I've had some interaction with before, so they can be forgiving of me <laughs> as I as I get on and try to work my way through this and shake the rust off, as I've, I've kind of pointed out. But I really don't know where we're going to go from here to be honest with you. The, the feedback overall has been positive. There's no one thing I would say that sticks out as this is the direction you need to go. So I guess that leaves it up to me to kind of look at what do I feel like has been the most enjoyable and the best thing, a direction that I'd like to, to take it that I think might fill a gap in the market maybe. That, that's got to be a factor too that maybe is still there. Amongst the thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts that are now out there, right? Like what's going to make me unique? Yeah. Like how can you bring the excitement from your short-lived radio experience? How can yeah. you bring more of that into it? Yeah, that, that'll be part of it for sure. And radio was so structured, right? I did radio news for the most part. I had a couple of other little segments that I did where I, you know, I'd interview like the local museum curator or, you know, the local fire chief or whatever. And they, there would be sort of these almost public service segments to let people know what was going on in the community. Uh, but for the most part, it was news. So it was kind of write the script, read the script. And you don't have to do that. Like pod, podcasts, yeah, you make some notes maybe, right? But it's totally unscripted for the most part for me. So having that flexibility changes the game a little bit for me. And that part in itself is is exciting, I think, because you've got some some opportunity to go in different directions where maybe you had some constraints before, not only based on time and radio, but based on what are the powers that be at the radio station? What do they want you to do? <laughs> And now I get to choose. What did they want you to do? What did you learn from working in radio? I learned a lot about adaptability in radio because it was an interesting time then. There was a lot of convergence happening. I worked at a station that was part of a 13 station network. In the time I was there, it got bought out by another company. Shortly after I left, it got bought out by another company. And it was just this, this sort of wild time of who can grow and get to be the biggest media conglomerate and essentially survive a changing landscape as digital was becoming more present in the space. And so, you know, to look at that and go, okay, I need to have some forethought here on how am I going to navigate this? What am I going to end up doing to, you know, kind of use my skill set as the industry evolves? And that, as it turns out, has been something that's been tremendous, tremendously valuable no matter what I've been doing in my career, because it seems like the pace of everything has increased. So the pace of change in every industry is very different than what it used to be. And I feel like anyone can learn it. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, it's the AAA strategy, right? It's the it's anticipate, adapt, and take action. If you can anticipate, if you can pay attention to what's happening, which I think that you know that's part of the journalist in me too, is you know be a, a good observer, look at the big picture, pay attention to the facts, just the facts out there, right? Like what's going on, <laughs> you know. And what are the implications of what's happening? How might it affect, you know, not only just me, but things in the bigger picture that, that may have a trickle-down effect on what my plans might be? So that anticipation is key, for sure. Making some choices around that. Taking some risks still, right? Because Tell me about to. those. The teaching 
thing for sure was a risk, right? Because I'd never done it. And as it turned out, it, it worked out in my favor. It worked out really well. And it's still something I enjoy doing. But, but yeah, you know, there was another, another stop in my career where I went through, I did a, like a professional coaching course a few years back and I thought, okay. And it, for me, it was just like, okay, this is something that as I progress in my career, if I end up in like manager roles and things, coaching is going to be something good to have in my toolbox. So I did that. And, and after that was done, there was a classmate in that course who was doing what, what we used to call outplacement consulting, but it, it's more commonly referred to as career transition consulting now. And at the time, the local economy was really starting to not do so well. We were going through, our local economy is very energy-based. So it's a lot of oil and gas traditionally, although that's shifting now into alternative energy, but, but it's very volatile. Right. So at that time it was, things were crashing. It's a boom and bust cycle. We were heading into the bust part of the cycle and companies were laying people off left, right, and center. And so this, this classmate of mine who was a career transition consultant said, you know, Rob, we need some help. This coaching skill set is something that could, could benefit you in something like what we do. Could you, you know, would you consider coming to do this? And she explained a little bit about how it works. Like basically people are getting laid off from companies, but they don't know right? They don't necessarily know they're being let go. So the way it works is you just kind of show up at the company and meet with the HR person who's responsible for making these things happen. There's a process that's carried out. You know, usually management it notifies the employee who's being let go. So they get the short part of this challenging process, right? It's like, you know, thank, thanks for your service. And then they're out of the room. And then the the consultant, you know, so me, I go into the room and I get to deal with the person who's just been told they don't have a job anymore. And so when I learned about this process, it was like, well, who wants to do that? <laughs> you know? Like that sounds insane. Why That's would you awful. Want to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, again, it was one of those things where, gee, not everybody does this, right? Like this is something that like, it, it's got to take a certain kind of person to be able to manage the emotional turmoil in that kind of situation. And so, you know, again, it was a situation where, all right, well, this would be a tremendous challenge for me. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know, let's give it a try. So there was a big risk again, right? But, you know, I did that for uh, a few years. And in fact, I'm still on a call list in case they need extra help for that stuff. Because, you know, at the end of the day, when you see those people who you meet in that terrible emotional state and, and you, you kind of work through things with them a bit and you see them land someplace else and, you know, there's, there's a success story in it. I think that's where the reward is in, in that kind of work. Yeah. Did you notice any differences between ones that ended up in a success story and ones that wanted to throw objects? Well, I, you know, I think they all they all have different reactions initially, and certainly there were those who reacted in such a way where, yeah, they they probably could have done some damage if we uh, if we weren't careful. So, you know, I think it's one of those things that where you have to be you have to be mindful of being patient and allowing people to have some time to sort of get in the right headspace to be able to move forward. You're grieving a loss, right? You're grieving a loss. So everybody grieves differently. So once they get through that stage and they, they kind of realize, okay, well, you know, I, I've got to move on to something else. I've got to take some action here. That's where it's like, all right, now we're ready to we're ready to move here and we can make some progress and we can actually put into place some, some strategies and take some action steps towards whatever it is next or whatever you want to do next. And some people move on to the next job. Some people retire. Some people uh, start a business. I mean, it was interesting to see different directions that people have gone. 
That is interesting. Have you kept in touch with any of them? Yeah, there's a few that I keep in touch with just on social media or, or whatever. And it, it's interesting. Some have changed jobs again. <laughs> you know, some some are, are traveling the world. One fellow in particular I watch on Instagram and I just can't believe how he has changed things because, you know, typical corporate life where he came from was, you know, the nine to five, which is not really the nine to five, you know, it's like the seven to 10 or the, you know, whatever it might be, the, you know, especially in the more senior roles, like he came out of and he's completely changed. And I think probably based on recognizing his values, right? Like life is short. I got to do something that I want to do. So he's traveling the world and posting incredible pictures and it's been neat to watch. Wow. Yeah. So you seem really big on values and living your dreams. I mean, you are an entrepreneur and you're a speaker and a podcaster and you do production. Are there any dreams that you feel you're holding yourself back from? Well, I try to avoid the limiting beliefs, right? The typical or the proverbial limiting beliefs. You look at where you came from. How did I grow up? Do I want to, to kind of carry on the same way? Do I want something different? Do I want something more? Do I want something less? How does that look for me? Um, so I think I'm mindful of, I, I try to be mindful of that on a consistent basis. Have I reached goals for myself? If yes, terrific. If not, why? What do I need to do differently? Or has the goal changed based on life circumstances? So there's always this process that's ongoing, I think, for me. If the time comes where I don't like something I'm doing, if I don't like podcasting one day, you know, or if I don't like doing the production work or the teaching, if I decide I'm tired of teaching, I'll find something else to do. And I think that, you know, we're, we live in an interesting time, right? We live in a time where because of the opportunity in the digital space, you can make very quick choices to do something different. You know, it's the age of opt-in work, right? Like Uber, Uber is opt-in work. Do I want to work today? Sure. Well, I'll just, you know, sign in on the app and I'll be available to work. Work. Do I not want to work today? Hmm. Yeah, all right, maybe not. <laughs> you know? So we have this, this flexibility. And especially since we came through a, a pandemic and people realized that, hey, you know, may, maybe we can do things a little bit differently. We can work from home. We can work when it when we're performing at our best, right? We don't have to fit into the eight to five structure necessarily. Although it doesn't work for everybody, granted, but there are a lot of jobs it does work for. Yeah. How did you grow up and what do you want to keep from that? I was lucky, right? Like I, I grew up with good parents. I have a sister. My parents are, are healthy and still together and have been married 50 years. And so they set a good example. I think a good example for, for me growing up and the, you know, the values of things like kindness, right? Kindness and yeah, kindness and, and just being aware of what's available, what's out there, what you know, what makes you happy. There was never any pressure to do anything. I spent a lot of my career working in the post-secondary system, and I would meet students all the time who were taking programs because mom and dad told them to take a program. And I never had that, right? I, it was always just explore, you know, find out what's out there and follow what you think is interesting. So if I consider myself lucky for that, and I try to sort of pass that on to my own kids too. That's interesting. Do you think that that is key in who you've become? 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because I haven't been afraid to change, right? Like there are people who have, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, these these sort of target careers, right, that, that people aspire to because it seems like that's what you're supposed to do to make money, I think, for a big part of it. Yeah. Um, but there are doctors and lawyers and engineers I know who are terribly unhappy in yeah. their careers. You know, they're just doing it. And, and it's hard to walk away because they've been in it so long that the paycheck is pretty good. And it, so it's hard to walk away and, and tell them themselves, gee, I, you know, I need to restart and do something different because, you know, despite this nice paycheck, I just hate getting out of bed in the morning. You know, not having ever had that trap, I guess, I think has been an advantage for me for sure. Have you ever interviewed your parents? Not formally. I think it would be interesting to do. My dad is really quiet. He's kind of like me, you know, unless, uh, unless I have a microphone in front of me, I don't say much. But I feel like he would be somebody interesting to have a conversation with. Just because we do. I, I was just back visiting with them a couple of weeks back. My dad turned 80. So we had a little family reunion kind of a thing and celebrated his 80th. That's yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And it was one of those occasions where some of the stories get told, right? Some of the memories that we've we've had over the years come back up and, and we have a chat about it. It would be neat to to record that. I have thought in the past and some of those chats that we don't get to have as often as I'd like, it would be neat to record because, you know, as we all know, our parents aren't going to be around forever. And I mean, not, none of us are, but, but our parents, if we're lucky enough to still have them at the age of 80, we've we got to take every minute for sure. What were some of the memories that came up? Things that we did as kids, right? Like one of the first things when I walked into the house was dad was talking about stuff that was happening in the house that they were doing. You know, they're, they're doing a, they've done a few renovations and things, not themselves directly anymore. They're, you know, they bring people in to do most of the work these days because they're just kind of past that. But he, he's talking about stuff and he's talking about things that were happening in my room. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, it's your old room. <laughs> you know? But it's still my room to him. And, you know, things that we remember as kids like Christmases, right? And Thanksgivings and all, all the holidays, of course, over the years, right? The, the things that like, you know, when I was about four years old, I think I got a train set for Christmas and you know, the discussion about my dad's memories of that versus mine, because I was so young, I, you know, I, re I kind of vaguely remember that I got this train set and it was really exciting. Dad being an adult at that time has a, a maybe a more clear memory of, of that and a different perspective of that. So all of those things are just really interesting to hear the different perspectives. Yeah. Shared experiences are really cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We even got a chance to do a, a little photo shoot with the whole family, which was fun. So talking about making memories, that's important too. I take video, take pictures. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to do any interviews and maybe, a, maybe that's an idea I'll do next time. But yeah, we definitely took some pictures and some videos and we'll have those to, to hang on to. That'll be great. Did you want to work in Hollywood or to do this kind of work as a child? No, actually, I, the thought never crossed my mind. It's interesting where it came from, I think. There was a time when I was going through high school as part of this community service piece that we had to do for, for some credits in one of our courses, you know, volunteer work, right? I would help out. I'd help out with gym classes for younger students. I'd, I'd help out running intramural programs at lunchtime. You know, in those days, I was more of an athlete than I am these days for sure. But uh, so it was fun to do. But one of the things I ended up doing was helping out with some of the morning announcements over the, like the school public address system. I remember, I think I was in grade 11 or so at the time, and I remember doing those morning announcements and coming back into the classroom and people were talking about who was that they heard 
doing these morning and like they didn't know it was me i'm like hey you know yours truly um <laughs> and i forget if it was one of the teachers or who it was but somebody said you know you got a pretty good sounding voice you should do radio or something like that i thought you know all right that could be an option I, i've never thought of doing that that could be an option and i never ended up pursuing it actually until i, I went and i did a couple of years of university before i made a decision to go okay well you know the they, they need people to do this stuff. They still did at that time, <laughs> you know, they, and they still do, but less so these days because the industry's changed so much, but they still needed people at that time. So I decided to try it and that's kind of how it played out. But that's a, yeah, that's an interesting time. I remember was doing those announcements in school and having a reaction to that. I love it. So you're like, hmm, maybe I could be good at this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And how did you get your job at the radio station? I just was passing out tapes, right? Like a tape, cassette tapes in those days. So I actually still had reels too. We had reel-to-reel -reel machines still going, uh, although they were they were less common. Everything was cassettes for the most part. You know, CDs, mini discs were were available by that time as well for a student. Cassettes were the cheapest option. So I would just record demos, and I had a bunch of demos on cassettes. I had some some TV demos on VHS tapes back in those days. And I just started running around to stations and passing out tapes. Yeah, got a few calls and eventually got an offer. Just lucky, I guess. Uh, lucky, but strategic in some ways too, right? It was a case of there were a lot of people also retiring from the industry. And so there were some gaps to fill. So it was like, okay, well, where, where are the the obvious opportunities where I want to pass out tapes, where I know that there's some movement happening. And we would we would get a lot of the inside information from our broadcast instructors about which stations were making some moves. So that's cool. And yeah. then from there, where did you go? Well, so broadcast at the time, my wife, we weren't married yet, but she was working in a different city, working in a, an interesting job. She was working in water treatment, which she doesn't do anymore. She's now she works in dental surgery. So she's had quite a pivot too over the years, but, but she was working water treatment. She was doing a lot of traveling and I was doing a lot of traveling back and forth just so we could see each other on weekends and things. So I thought, you know, I got to try to get a gig in this in this town where you know, my wife's job looked like it was going to be kind of a more permanent position. And radio, as we know, cannot be that way, right? Radio, remember the old WKRP in Cincinnati theme, right? Moving from town to town, up and down the dial. That really is how it goes. Like you have to do that to progress in your career. So I, I started passing out tapes where my, my wife was working at the time. I did get a few calls, met with a few news directors and things. But the first offer was actually for a, like a corporate communications gig. It wasn't corporate. It was for the municipal government in that town. Yeah. In their communications office. And the offer was like, it was a Monday to Friday gig, which radio was not for me. Right. Cause I was covering stuff for news and sports. And so you have to be at events on the weekends and the evenings, and then it's a taxing job. So this, here's this communications gig, Monday to Friday, regular hours, like you know, typical nine to five, I think it was 8.30 to four or something like that. And the pay was like more than double what radio was paying me. <laughs> so, 
And I mean, when you're starting out in radio, it doesn't pay well. Let's be honest. It gets better, I think, as you progress in your career, but it's nobody's getting rich in radio these days. You know, the, the days of the high profile disc jockeys, people with the big syndicated programs, stuff stuff doesn't work like that anymore. So, you know, rare is the the person who's who has longevity in radio and works their way up to salaries that make them wealthy. So it was like, all right, well, this is an easy decision. Like I, I don't have to live on, you know, I don't have to live on radio station coffee mugs and donated muffins from the bakery downstairs from the station, right? Like I can, I can pay my rent and buy groceries. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's how that played out and uh, made the move and started weaving my way through uh, the dark side, so to speak, even though that was never the intention. It was what worked at the time for, uh, for my wife and I to be in the same city. Wow. That sounds like an exciting role. Yeah, it was fun. It was uh, it was another opportunity to learn, right, and and learn from a different perspective because now you're on the side that's answering the media questions as opposed to asking them. Mm. And so I got to see kind of how that works, right? Like how people are working to stay on topic, stay on brand. In the case of that organization, because it was a government organization, obviously there's some politics involved. Uh, and so what's happening and who are the spokespeople and, and what's the messaging and, and how do you make sure that messaging is reflected despite what questions might come from the media side. That's really interesting, actually. It was an eye-opener for sure. I, I prefer pure journalism. I, I like to have that straight shooting questions and honest answers would be what I would prefer. And investigative stuff too, I really liked. Like I, if you could get into investigative journalism, which also doesn't happen a whole lot these days, right? Like your, your 60 minutes style stuff, is, they're just, it's expensive to do. So networks don't invest a lot into that investigative journalism anymore. But that would have been fun, like to play detective, I think that would have been- Okay, good. so I'm actually glad that you brought that up. Why can't you do that with your podcast? Well, yeah, sure you could. I like I could. That's certainly a thought, right? I certainly could do that. Yeah, I like I, you feel like I've wanted to go after stuff like that. Like if a news story yeah. happened in Chicago and I felt like I could reach that person, I have literally reached out. Yeah. As reporters do, right? Like that's, people are so reachable now. Yeah. Especially on social media these days. Like if you've got a Twitter handle, you can probably reach out to people. So yeah, totally. That's definitely a direction it could go. Ooh, I would love to see that from you. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Who knows? Right? <laughs> All right. Is there anything you'd like to ask my dad? I'm curious about how his values play into what he's done. Right? Given our discussion here, what are his big values and how have they influenced his decisions and his kind of path through life? That would be interesting to hear. There's probably a, a big story behind that, I'm guessing, because the way he imparts his wisdom, it, it seems to be very thoughtful and very reflective and very sort of big picture. And yet still he gets straight to the point many times too, right? So, so it'd be interesting to hear him kind of reflect on what are, what are his values. And That's a great question. How have your values impacted Dirt Road Journey? And give me a little bit of a on-the-fly synopsis. The podcast, that wasn't going to be the name for the podcast, actually. We, we had a few other options in mind, or I did, I should say, had a few other options in mind. But Dirt Road Journeys was sort of, to me, reflective of, we're, we're going to have these, these discussions about challenging journeys that people have had in their lives, the bumpy road, so to speak, right? And how people have kind of navigated that and come out on the other side and the lessons that they've learned going through that stuff. So so metaphorically speaking, it seemed like a good a good fit. You know, the the learning value, the value of education 
is really fundamental or foundational in, in where that came about. So every, if you listen to the episodes, I think there's 13 episodes in the first season. There, there's no episode where we're not hearing about some lesson learned from one of the guests. And the idea is that we want to have that lesson learned shared because we want other people to maybe avoid some of those potholes along the dirt road. And so I don't see that theme changing as we progress, as we get into another season. I think that foundationally, that that's definitely where this comes from. That's that's the big value is that, you know, the, the learning and the teaching. I love that. And you're working on creating courses now. Are there any that are available? What are you teaching yeah. lately? Before the pandemic, it was interesting. I started doing some some coaching with executives and some media training and stuff. And I was kind of doing that locally in our downtown area. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, all right, well, nobody's in the offices anymore. So, you know, so now what? And the demographic I was working with wasn't comfortable just jumping on a Zoom call and, and interacting like this. And so, you know, I thought, well, that's fair. Like we we haven't had a chance to get used to it, but now we're kind of forced to adapt to these new ways. You you know, maybe there's some some need not only to do kind of the traditional coaching and training, but but also incorporate, well, how can we make it work well in the digital space? And so that's where uh, some of the courses that have been developed, you know, my, my initial sort of get on camera smartphone training came from that, and that's up on the website. Uh, but there's some more comprehensive stuff that, that's in development just to kind of help people because the digital space isn't going away. In fact, I think it's only going to grow. So to help people understand kind of the etiquette and the protocol and what works and what doesn't work from, you know, setting up the gear to, and the lighting right, and not being afraid of it and actually making it work and having these interactive, productive conversations for a business purpose. Do you have any quick tips you can give us there? I mean, you did a whole course on how to use your smartphone. Yeah, it's a mini course. So it's a three-part mini course. And it it really is focused on the true beginner, right? So mm -hmm. people who are now jumping onto a, a Zoom call or recording a video on their smartphone, it seems crazy, but it's simple things like, you know, the lens is here, right? Like, so when you're looking at the screen, which is where the person you're talking with is showing up, your eyeballs are looking down like a, because of where the lens is on the phone. So it's understanding like this is the equipment and this is how it works. And this is why you need to be doing things the way we do it. So even here, I'm talking to you on a webcam here, but your face is down here. <laughs> but people don't realize that. So you see a lot of meetings and a lot of presentations digitally happening where people are talking like this and they're, you're seeing kind of the, their forehead and the top of their head. Well, we can change that and we can make a better connection with people by just understanding where the lens is and that our audience is on the other side of the lens. In fact, one of the things I do is if people are using a webcam, I'll say, well, you know, just tape a photo up of a family member. Or I use a like a hockey card, a trading card, and I'll put it up there to remind myself sometimes, like, hey, I'm talking to Wayne Gretzky today or, you know, whoever it might be on the card. And that kind of helps train the eyes to stay up where the lens is. Yeah, that's a good trick. I like that. Do you put any other little like motivational quotes around your computer? The one that I have, so it's actually not here because I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning at the moment, but the one that I keep close by is a variation of the, the Einstein definition of insanity, <laughs> you know, the, 
like we can't expect you know to keep doing the same things and have a different outcome like <laughs> like this this isn't how it works so so i try in fact i try to live by that right like even with my haircuts like i used to <laughs> for 20 years i had the same short haircut right because i was a basketball player in school and so I, at that time I cut the, I cut my hair because it was, that was the thing to do. There was the, this kind of typical basketball haircut that everybody was getting at the time back in the, the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. And so I had that for a long, long time. And it, one day it was just like, you know, I've had the same haircut for so long and I'd been going through some other changes in life too, right? Some of these, these things where I was meandering through career stops and stuff. And it was like, well, you know, maybe I need to try something different. And so I grew my hair out. And, and then the, with the pandemic, well, uh, barbershops around here shut down anyway. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, well, I'll just let it go and see what happens. And here we are with this crazy hairdo now. But, you know, it's different and that's okay. And I'm embracing being different. I love that. That's what happened. You let your hair down. I let my hair down and I'm expecting a different outcome now because of it, because I, I've made a change, right? Ooh, nice. Okay, well, I can't wait to see how you continue to go out of your comfort zone with this next season. And I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say about your question about values. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Rob. To be continued. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, he's really giving you an idea that you can be an introvert and still be able to put yourself out there, just like anything else. It takes some practice, takes some where you build your confidence, where you know what you're doing, and how do you know what you're doing? Well, he is willing to learn and to continue to learn and listen to others and then pass on some of these experiences, other people, and being able to show that we all can learn together, that we all can achieve together. But what's very interesting is that he's always planning on going with the flow, as I would say, where he's always looking that change is inevitable and that you have to learn how to adapt to it. You have to learn how to analyze it and you have to learn how to take action when it occurs, where you just don't become frozen or blaming this or blaming that. It doesn't get you anywhere. You have to be able to move forwards at all times, and you have to realize that part of life is exactly that. It's a constant learning curve. It's a constant development curve, and that we have to participate and anticipate what the next move is. You can't dwell on the past. We have to learn from the past and be able to move forward. And hopefully avoid those pitfalls. Well, you know, as as I told you, you know, he brought it up with a dirt road or, you know, you could have a racetrack and got to watch out for all the skid marks. And Grandpa Abe would say, you know, life is a bowl full of cherries, but you got to watch out for the pit. There's always stumbling blocks in our way. We have to find the right path. And Rob brought up also that what's your values in life? What can give you the guidance? Always push forward. As you know, I take my personal relationship with God and his teachings very seriously, but it doesn't have to be where it's rigid, where you have to live in a box. I believe that we also have to be able to adapt to the future and to times, and yet we don't want to deviate too far from the road because otherwise you can fall off the cliff or fall off the road, as has already been discussed. But certain values you always keep, dedication, family, hard work, loyalty, trust. These are terms that, that everyone should have and should honor. And yet, as you know, a lot of people 
fall off the cliff because they don't have proper ethics or values. And that's how your whole society will suffer. As you know, a marriage between a man and a woman, which is supposed to be natural today, has been flipped upside down. And yet, when you don't have a structure or a family structure to really help guide children, what do you expect? Your whole society can fall apart. And we have to really make sure that our values and ethics, righteousness and wisdom is passed on not only to others that we're working with or trying to run a business with or trying to run a project with, but we have to make sure that we pass these things on to our children so that they can carry on. They're part of what this show is about, part of our legacy, able to show that we can pass on values and wisdom and let the next generation have a solid foundation. Without a solid foundation, and it doesn't matter where you are, you have to build a foundation if you want to be able to have a stable life and to have a stable legacy to follow you. So yeah, is that what you're doing here? That's what I'm doing. Once you learn how to learn, you should be able to apply it to a broad front, be open to other people's ideas. The more you learn from other people, the more you learn from your experiences of other people, and you put that into your network, and the bigger your network of understanding is, guess what? Then you have actually been able to accomplish something that you didn't even think even mattered, but you're able to then share all those experiences and networking with other people, and everyone gains from that. Definitely. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 